can't, I can point you in the direction of a God who can. When you're down to nothing, my God is up to something good. I wish I had a witness in this church that he had already shown himself to be a God that will do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can imagine or even think. When you were running on empty, he rejuvenated you. When you didn't have a way out, he made a way where there seemed to be no way. When all the odds were stacked against you and the devil was in your ear telling you it will not come to pass, my God showed up, kicked the brakes off the place, opened up the barricades of heaven and poured out. Is, is anybody blessed in this church? I just, I just got to know before I preach if I got any blessed folk in the house. My God in heaven. I'm too blessed to be quiet. I'm too blessed to be calm. I'm too blessed in this day and age where de fear and, 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 and criticism and everything is running as deep as a horse's bridles. I have been too blessed to keep my mouth shut. I need to tell somebody that my God is good. Can you do that for about 10 seconds? Just let heaven hear you rejoice this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for our online uh, service that is happening. Uh, I know there's a lot of people right now that's kind of locked down and locked up and different communities are going through different things and there's rules here and rules there and uh, here a rule, there a rule, everywhere a rule, rule and you don't know what is up and sometimes uh, COVID works in one state and don't work in another or you can catch it after 10 p.m. but you can't catch it at 9.59. I don't understand it. But we're just making the best we can with what we got. Uh, we're trying to keep our, our, our nose to the, to the grindstone and, and, and keep out of trouble with as many folk as we can. But in the end, I know a king, and he's got the answer to every problem, and I'm taking my problems to him today. Amen. Amen. I, I want to give you just about uh, three or four seconds, and you can find your seat and sit down. Wave at somebody and let them know that you're glad to see them in God's house this morning. Can you do that? Yeah. Glad to have you here. I know some people are joining us because they're not able to be here. And we're thankful that you are joining with us. I promised last week that I wouldn't keep you very long because I knew that it was hard. It's hard to preach to a camera and it's hard to sit and watch a, 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 a service while you're not in the building. I will make no such promises today. I know that there's people watching us this morning by live stream. Some of you may check in and check out and check out later. And, uh, but the, those of you that came to church this morning, I just plan on preaching like I've always preached and, and just letting the chips fall. Yeah, I, I, don't make, I make no assumptions that I'm going to be short-winded this morning. Hallelujah. This is week two of a sermon series that I began last week. And it was odd, there was only nobody in the building but me and Brother JR. And he was way up there and I was way down here and I couldn't see him and he probably couldn't see me. Uh, but I was preaching to the camera. And I began this series last week uh, on, the, on a whim. The reason I say it was on a whim is because this was intentionally going to be my first sermon of this series. This ser sermon series is about miracles. It's about some of the miracles that Jesus performed. However, at the last second last week, God had me write another sermon, and that's the one that I preached online. And that sermon had to do with the fact that before I can introduce you to the God of miracles, you need to examine yourself. 
I, 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 was, I was thinking about it a few days ago. We spent the week in Orlando and, and, and with my daughter at, at St. Augustine. And uh, we took a, a vacation since we'd been, I'd been in this building for seven months. And uh, yeah, amen, I, I took some time off. Time off is always stressful to me because I always feel like I'm missing out on something. I'm supposed to be doing something, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I was thinking about last week's sermon, and, and I'm, I'm going to put it, I'm going to frame it in this because I know some of you probably did not see it. So last week's sermon had to do with this concept. I'm going to be preaching to you for the next six to seven weeks about miracles, about living a life that is beyond an ordinary life, living a life that opens up the windows of heavens and kicks the brakes off of blessings. Because I believe, in, I believe in a God who wants to bless us abundantly. That's the kind of God I serve. I don't know what kind of God that you think you set under, but I, I read about a God who His train filled the temple and His government stretched from universe to universe. There is no God above my God. There is no sovereignty above His sovereignty. And there is no rule higher than His rule. And so that's the God I serve. He's a God of opulence. He's a God of overflow. He's a God of abundance, and he wants to bless his people. But last week, God checked me in my spirit, and I had to write a sermon at like 1030 at night uh, to preach Sunday morning because I needed to tell you, as a parent, I've always made a rule not to bless misbehaving children. Because when a child is misbehaving and you bless them in spite of their misbehaving uh, deeds, you reinforce their bad habits. So I, I started praying about this morning's message and tying it in with last week's message, and I realized that's what God was trying to get across to us last week. That in order for you to live a life where you're going to be healthy and you're going to be blessed and you're going to live a life that is beyond an ordinary life, the reason, most, the reason it's ordinary is because that's where most people live. If you want to live a life that is beyond ordinary, you're going to have to do what most folks are not willing to do. And that is get yourself in check, get your life in alignment with the will of God because guess what? God's not trying to bless your mess. He is not interested in giving you blessings when you are misbehaving. And so when I get up here and preach about healing and I say healing is available for everybody, that's true. But there's certain blessings that God is not going to overflow into our lives until we get in alignment with His Word. And so this morning... I want to begin where I thought I was going to begin last week because I'm going to assume that by now you've checked yourself. I'm going to assume that by now you have gotten yourself in a place where you're like, okay, God, I want to serve you above everything else. I don't have anything in my life that's as important as you, oh God. And so now I'm ready for a, a life that is beyond ordinary. And here we are, living a life, most of us just going through the most. If I, had a, uh, uh, if I was honest this morning, and I, and I made you be honest this morning, most of the people sitting in this room have never experienced anything that is extraordinary. And the reason that I know that is because the word extraordinary means beyond ordinary. Most people have never witnessed a real bona fide miracle. Most people have never seen God show up and show off in a way to where he paid off a $20,000 debt, where cancer fell out of a body. Most people in this room, and I say most people because some of us, us, 
have seen God show up in a glory cloud. And I'm not talking about I needed $5 to make it to next payday. I'm talking about checks where bills got paid off. I'm talking about where cancer fell out of bodies. I'm talking about where carotid arteries got instantaneously unplugged and they felt it move through their body. Some of us have witnessed those kind of things. And I'm here to tell you in the next few weeks that when you follow Jesus, you're following a miracle worker. And if I'm following a miracle worker, I should see some miracles. If I'm following somebody whose entire ministry was based on the fact that we should not live an ordinary life, how can I follow him and stay ordinary? How can I follow him and stay mundane? King Jesus has something in store for your life that is greater than you've ever imagined, and I want to get that in your spirit. 2020 has been a rough year. And it's all it has done is multiplied what most folks already were. If you was a grouch, you a bigger one now. If you was stingy, you you more stingy now. If you had a mundane expectation of your life, if you were Eeyore, if you were gloom and doom, it just exasperated over 2020. You are just more of what you started out the year as. And most of us expect a mundane existence. Most of us expect mediocrity. We might even be the kind of Eeyore spirit. Your spirit animal is Eeyore. And you get up every day and expect the worst to happen. And we rarely ever live a life with the expectation that miracles are just around the corner. That extraordinary things can happen on a Tuesday. That I woke up today and something powerful could revolutionize my life. We don't believe that and that is sad. You know why? Because King Jesus, and I emphasize the word King Jesus, is the one who woke you up today. He's the one that will tuck you in tonight. And if you are following a king, what is ordinary about that? So we rarely live in a life where we expect great things. And great things is always what Jesus brings. That's what Christmas is about. A great thing born in a small way. So my question to you before I begin this sermon series is simply this. Do you want to live a life that is totally explainable? Because I don't. I want to live a life where every time I turn around, something is happening and I have to go, ay, 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 how did that get here? What in the world? What is God doing? How did I end up here? And not in a bad way, but how did I come this far? How did I make it like this? How did those bad things not kill me, but instead of killing me, they prospered me? How did I get here? So we're going to start this series of messages and we're going to talk about some powerful lessons from powerful things that Jesus did during his earthly miracles uh, ministry. And we call these things miracles. Now, we don't have time to cover very many of them. Uh, theologically, uh, theologically, we know that Jesus performed somewhere around 36 miracles while he was on earth. 37 if you count something called the resurrection. So we know that we're not going to cover all 36 of these miracles that were recorded. As a matter of fact, they recorded somewhere around 36 of them. But 
John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote at the end of his book as he's closing his epistle, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, all the libraries in the whole world couldn't contain the books to tell you how powerful Jesus' ministry was. So we're going to start by examining this morning what we consider the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And we're going to break this thing down because his first earthly miracle was a strange thing to call a miracle. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what do you want me to do about it? I just see me talking to my mama like that right now. She might, she, I might not have been Jesus, but I might have met him that day. Woman... What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, pay attention to this. So Jesus, you almost think he's insulting her. What more do you want me to do about it? This is not what I'm here for. I came here to get my swerve on. We had a wedding. I came here to party. I'm not here to make wine. Why are you bringing this problem to me? And then the Bible says this. His mother said to the servants, just like Nike, whatever he says for you to do, just do it. Verse 6, now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with what? What? What are they out of? And he said, fill it with, okay, now we're straight. Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now. Some of what? What did they put in the water pots? Water. They need what? And he's telling them to fill it up with water and draw out water. What's this got to do with wine? And they filled them up to the brim. He said, draw out some water and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior you have kept the good wine until now. Let me tell it to you in another way. You have saved the best for last. You have saved the best for when everybody is ready to pack it up and call it a day. You show up and show off. The stuff that we thought we had run out of, not only had we not run out of it, it showed up in a better quality than what we had. What's that? What's that? What's that? The end of a thing shall be better 
than the beginning thereof. I wish I had some folks in this church that realizes just because it seems like it's dead don't mean it's dead. Just because you seem like you've run out doesn't mean that Jesus can't show up at the last minute and do more than you ever thought. Now the Bible goes on to say in verse 11 that this beginning of signs, this is the first miracle Jesus performed publicly. This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glories. Now pay attention to the last part of that verse. And his disciples believed. That's going to be important in a minute. Because he performed this miracle. And what a strange miracle. Turning water into wine. You have to understand that for us in America in 2020, weddings are very different than they were in traditional Jewish culture. Especially 2,000 year old Jewish culture. See, in our weddings today, there's one star. Who's the star of the wedding? Oh, yes, she is. The bride, he's just window dressing. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I said, you got one job, show up early. You don't have to be pretty. You ain't got to be cute. Ain't nobody looking at you no way. You got one job, show up early. Don't you be late on that day. She will beat you profusely about your head and shoulders. Don't you make her wait. Don't you make her sweat on her wedding day. You got one job, bucko. Show up early. Yo, I'm going to lead you out. I'm going to show you where to stand. That's your only job. Everything else is on the bride. Oh, you don't believe me? What happens when the preacher says, will you all please rise? Everybody stands up for the bride. Everybody turns around for the bride. Everybody watches the bride because she's the star of the show all about her but in Jewish weddings it wasn't like that the star of that show was the groom and not necessarily the groom but the groom's family because we've come a long way I guess from Jewish tradition because in in their culture the groom and his family took this situation as an opportunity to show off their ability to be hospitable because hospitality was a big value to the ancient Jewish culture. It's huge for them. So what we need to realize is that this is not an American wedding. Before I get into this sermon, understand what is going on in the context. The good thing about our weddings today is they take about 20 minutes. <laughs> now, you got about 20 to 30 minutes and you're hitched. Weddings don't last too long. Unfortunately, a lot of we uh, marriages don't either. But in about 20 to 30 minutes, I will, I will make you married, and you're supposed to stay married for 20 to 30 years. So, so in, in America, we're used to a one-day event. However, in the Jews' tradition, they went all week. The family would come in from all around the region and they would just camp out around the house. It was a huge party. They would travel great distances to get there. They'll camp out in the yard. They'll sleep in the house. They'll bring tents and they'll pitch them on the yard. And it's a multiple day festival. And everybody really gets into the spirit of celebrating. And according to this story, 
Somebody celebrated too much. Because they knew how much it should take to feed this many people for this period of time. They knew how much wine it should take to take care of this many people for this period of time. Somebody overdid it. Because by the time Jesus and his mother gets there, they have run out of wine. See, the wedding was the biggest kind of party there was in the New Testament era. It was huge. And it would have been a huge embarrassment for the groom's family if everybody had to go home because there wasn't enough wine. So Jesus and his mother and his disciples show up at this wedding. And what really catches my attention is that he did not perform this miracle to show off. He didn't call the news cameras. He didn't put it on YouTube. He didn't Facebook Live it. Because the Bible goes on to tell us that nobody at the wedding knew what happened. Nobody knew where the wine came from except the servants. Keep this in your brain. I'll come back to it. The servants who carried the water. They knew what happened, the disciples knew what happened, Mary knew what happened, and Jesus knew what happened. And nobody else at the wedding knew where the the groom didn't know, the governor didn't know, the wedding party doesn't know. They don't know where the wine came from. Because this was not a public miracle. Jesus was not bringing the cameras close in. Instead, this miracle was performed, listen to what the scripture said, For an inside circle of people. What did verse 11 teach us? And the disciples believed. So Jesus performed this miracle so his disciples would start believing. These were the same men that he had called off of fishing boats and called out of tax collecting businesses and called out of all all manners of living. And they were following Jesus, but they hadn't saw Jesus do anything spectacular yet. And the Bible says that he performed this miracle, turning water into wine, so his disciples would believe. So i got three things that I'm going to point out to you this morning. I'm going to rush through the first two to get to the last one. The first one I want to point out to you is that the promise of this text first and foremost points me to this. What Jesus has in store to you, it, it, for you is always greater than anything that you've imagined so far. John calls this a miraculous sign. You know what a sign is, don't you? A sign is a miracle that has a meaning behind it. So Jesus intended to teach his mother and he, te- he was going to teach his disciples some very important truths about himself. What truths? Three things. Number one, Jesus is king. Before I go on to teach this, the rest of this series, I want you to get this in your spirit because I'm going to say it a lot over the course of the next few weeks. Jesus is the king. I need you to understand that because he is the king of the world. He is the king of nature. He is the king over all creation. You need to get this into your spirit. He was invited to a wedding, and when he showed up at the wedding, he wasn't the maid of honor. He wasn't the best man. He wasn't the groom. He wasn't the preacher. 
preacher, but he was still the king. I need you to get this in your spirit because sometimes we put our faith in a government. Sometimes we put our faith in a doctor. Sometimes we put our faith in a political system. But King Jesus is the one that has the answer to your problem. So many times we're looking around at other folks to come to our rescue, but he is the king. And even when he wasn't the maid of honor, even when he wasn't the main event, even when you wasn't expecting him, that doesn't stop him from still being the king of your moment. Somebody give a king a welcome. If he's king, he has absolute authority. That means cancer bows down at the name of King Jesus. Hypertension bows down. Anxiety, depression, uh, submission to authority against rebellion bows down to King Jesus. And if you don't get this point, you're going to miss the rest of the power of this sermon series because you're not going to understand how miracles transpire because you're going to think that you rub a a wishing well, throw a, a penny into a wishing well, or rub a genie lamp and something happens. But the reason it happens is because he's the king. He's the good See, you've, ta- you've tasted what the world had to offer. Now you need to taste what Jesus brings to the table. He's a well that never runs dry. He is the bread who's come down from heaven. He's the bright and the morning star. He is the lily of the valley. You've been waiting for things to get better. But I'm going to introduce you to King Jesus who makes your things better. See, some of us sit around and wring our hands and bob our heads and cry our tears and wonder if things are ever going to get better but I know a king who can make things better and instead of sitting around waiting for something to happen I'm going to tell you how to go to him and bring your mess to him and anticipate a miracle is on its way I'm trying not to shout at you this morning but I'm excited and here's the third thing that this text teaches me You'll never have it if you won't believe it. And his disciples believed. You will never have what you need if you don't believe that you can have it. Jesus' goal was to make believers. It was not to impress the governor of the feast. It wasn't to impress the bridegroom and his family or the bride or any of the members of the wedding party. Jesus' goal was to give his disciples a demonstration of the power and nobility of the king that they had chosen to follow. That's when people ask me to pray over them and they're sick. Their body is struggling physically. Can I tell you that I pray without apology some of you know this about me and some of you do not if I pray for your healing I'm not just saying some five cent five and dime prayer hoping and wishing and dreaming that I'm getting through to heaven I pray unashamedly I pray unabashedly what does that mean? that means when I pray for you I say I lay claim to healing in the name of Jesus I don't stand up here and waste my time and your time and say maybe if you see fit to give us some kind of sign to the- no 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 I call upon King Jesus who's the author and the finisher of my faith when I lay hands on you I mean business when I lay hands on you I'm claiming a miracle in your name for the glory of heaven to demonstrate and manifest itself right then and right there 
See, when people ask me to pray over them and they're sick and struggling, a lot of times the reason they don't receive is because you never get what you don't believe for. I, I believe as a child of God, I can ask God for healing. I also know while I'm asking Him that He is sovereign. He is in charge absolutely. That means I don't get to make demands of Him. He looks for me to have the kind of faith to ask. But he also looks to me to be submissive enough to say, Your will, not mine, be done. See, when I pray, I want to pray in such a way that it shocks the doctors. I want to pray believing that God can heal and change and perform the kind of miracle that could not be achieved by human means. I want to pray in a way that when I say amen, I want to trust that God is good, He is a good King, and He will do the best thing for me and the person I'm praying for. Now, does God always answer my prayers with yes every time I ask Him for a miracle? So far, He hasn't. But does He sometimes? Absolutely. And it's those absolute moments of miraculous healing that keeps me praying. Y'all not going to help me this morning. But there are moments in time where I have laid hands on the sick and I've seen them instantly recover. I've spoke to demons and seen them instantly leave a body. I've spoke to marriages and seen them instantly get healed. And it's those miraculous moments that keeps me praying with faith because I know if he did it once, he's a good king and he'll turn around and do it. What he does for one child, he'll do for another because he loves you that much however the scriptures do teach us that prayer is the one mechanism by which we invite heaven to get involved in our problems can I tell you that there is no way no one certain way to guarantee to get a miracle but there is one certain way to guarantee you won't get one and that is refuse to ask if you don't believe it and you don't ask for him and you don't pray for him to do it, I want you to realize that's the one way you guarantee that heaven stays shut. I don't know what key opens heaven always, every time, but I know what lock keeps it shut. It's called unbelief. Let's talk about this wedding and then I'm going to get out of your way. This party's been going on for a while. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into my B.C. days for a minute, okay? Somebody been drunk at a drunk drunk. They had portioned out enough wine for seven days, and after three days, I think some of y'all was at this party. I see your Facebook. <laughs> I think some of y'all showed up. Now the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, it's interesting how, how Jesus' image changes from John 1 to John 2. Because in John 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible says that everything that was created was created by Him, and nothing that was created was created without His hand. In other words, John chapter 1 is talking about how powerful Jesus is, that He is equal to God. That's John 1. John 2, He's at a wedding party. It's almost like they're talking about two different people. 
Because you talk about Jesus, he's high and lifted up. He is God. He is equal to God. He is God. He was with God, and he is God. And at chapter 2, hey. In other words, he shows up in John chapter 1 to show that he is a creator. And in John chapter 2, he shows up on a Tuesday afternoon at a wedding. He is not on some spiritual mission. You know what that reminds me of? Sometimes church folks are more spiritual than God is. Because sometimes we act like we can't do nothing unless we're on a spiritual mission. Oh, I can't go over there to that party. They might dance. Well, I, can, I might do that on Sunday morning in the house of the Lord. Oh, I can't go over there. Uh, I, I, I got to stay home and pray and fast and read my Bible. If all you're doing is praying and fasting and reading your Bible, can I tell you, you are more serious about Jesus than Jesus was? Even he took a break from praying and fasting and reading the Word, and he was the Word, to go to a wedding. He wasn't there on a spiritual mission. He was there because they invited him. And he shows up, and Mary comes up to him and says, Hey, they are out of wine. In my day, that would have meant some fancy stuff like Boone's Farm or Mad Dog 2020. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Some of y'all so holy. Y'all came out the womb speaking in tongues. I took another way to get to Jesus. I took a many, a many uh, divided road to get here. She comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of Mad Dog 2020. It might be worth noting that this is not even Jesus' problem. He didn't invite all these drunks. He didn't invite all these people to show up and drink all the wine. Secondly, let's be honest. Can I be real with you? It ain't much of a problem anyway, is it? When you compare this problem to other folks' problems, like most people that came to Jesus and said, hey, I got a problem, they meant, hey, I got palsy. I'm a leper. I'm blind. I can't walk. I have an issue of blood. That's the problems most people came to Jesus with. Mary comes to Jesus with a big old problem. They're out of wine. And the liquor store's closed. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you start putting it in. If you just read through it fast, you're like, okay, that's a cute little miracle, and you keep going. But let's be honest. She came to Jesus. And her big issue is they're out of wine. Now, i got to be honest with you. And some of y'all won't be honest this morning, so let me be honest and testify. I've been to a few parties. I've never been one that lasted three days. But I can imagine that if I'd been the one that lasted three days and they ran out of wine, somebody would have went, well, that's enough. Go home. I mean, serious, let's be honest. If you've been somewhere and people have been drinking wine for three days, and they out. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here. It might be time for you to leave. I mean, vominos. It vacate the premises. You have drank enough for seven days in three days. See ya. So it's not really a problem anyway. So what we learn from this, if I if I can catch the spirit of this text, is this: Jesus adopts a crisis. 
that is not really a crisis. And he cares about it, not because he cares about it, but because they care about it. Which means this, there are no big miracles. And there are no big crises. Because if it's important to you, it happens to be important to King Jesus. And you don't have to take a poll of whether or not everybody else thinks it's a big deal. You don't have to have agreement from seven prayer partners that this is the miracle you need. If it matters to you, King Jesus says, I love you enough that this thing is important to you. It's important to me. I wish you'd give God some praise in this church. This wasn't Jesus' party. It wasn't Jesus' problem. But he cared about it because Mary cared about it. Mary cared about it because the, the bride's groom's family cared about it. So if it's important to you, it's important to King Jesus. So then Jesus doesn't just spring into action, though. Here, let, let, let's keep reading the text. He says, woman, how's this my problem? I didn't invite these drunks. My hour has not yet come. In other words, here's what he said. He said, I didn't come here to this party to perform this miracle. This is not what I'm here to do. I, I didn't intend to do this. Stay with me. I'm going to teach you something. Because this jumped in my spirit when I was studying for this. He said, this is not what I showed up here for. I did not show up here to turn water into wine. I wasn't planning on this. But because I have a relationship with you, I did not come here looking to heal somebody, but because I have a relationship. I did not come here to put a household back together, but because I have a relationship with you. I did not come here trying to make a woman with the issue of blood's issue drive, but because I have a relationship and you pulled something out of me. I showed up at Promise of Victory on a Sunday morning, and I wasn't intending to put you back together, but you just pulled my glory. You touched me with faith, and something spectacular is about to happen. If Somebody in this church will believe that the king can do it. Will you praise him in this? He says, I didn't come here intending to do this. But because of my relationship with mom, because you have a special place in my heart, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Hear me. He is sovereign. But there are miracles coming your way that are not scheduled. And the only reason that you are even going to walk into them is because you have a relationship with Him. And that's going to make things happen that should not happen. That's going to make doors fly open that people have kept closed in your face. The devil's going to tell you that it's not possible. But because you have a relationship with him, you're on the planet and he is in heaven. But he is about to rain down an unscheduled, unintended blessing because you're about to pull something out. If you don't believe me, go over and read your Bible. There was a man sitting by a pool of water waiting for the water to be troubled by an angel. He was in the wrong place. He wasn't in the water. It was the wrong time. The angel wasn't there. He did not have the faith to believe that it could happen. But because he met Jesus. Jesus is on his way to touch 
a little girl and bring health to her body. And somebody grabs the hem of his garment. And he says, I wasn't intending to touch this woman. I didn't have her on my day timer. I didn't have her scheduled in. I didn't have this moment on my calendar. But somebody touched me. Somebody's about to get what they came looking for. And it wasn't what I showed up here to do. But because I have a relation. My God. See, it'll be the wrong time. It'll be the wrong season. And Sarah will give birth at 90 out of a dry and dusty place. New life will come forth. And it's not what he intended. It's not what nature intended. And God will bend physics to bring you a miracle. Because if it's important to you, it's important to heaven. My God in heaven. So Mary comes to Jesus carrying this trouble. And he says, woman, what am I about to do? This is not what I'm here for. I want to be like Mary. I know it's almost Christmas. And Mary gets a lot of the spotlight and deservedly so. But I don't want to be like Mary about to give birth to Jesus. I want to be like this Mary. Jesus almost rebukes her. Read the text. Woman, how is this my problem? This is not what I came here to do. This is not my hour to show off. This ain't what I'm here for. And she don't answer him a word. Just like a mama. I mean, I know she's the. I know, I know her baby boy is the son of is the son of God, but that's my boy, and she just say it the way she feels like it. Bible says that she looked at the servants and said, "Whatever he says to do, just do it." Now wait a minute. When did he say he's going to do anything? So she thinks because she's small. She said it. She expects him to act. He didn't say he was about to do nothing. But this is what she knew about Jesus. If I ask him, and I expect it to happen, something's about to change where I am. See, he didn't tell her he was about to use the servants. He didn't tell her that he was about to tell them to do anything. She looked at him and said, we need some wine. She looks at the servant and says, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. He didn't say he was going to do it. He didn't say he was going to use the servants. But here's what Mary knows about Jesus. If God's going to do something in your life, he won't do it separately from you. You're going to have to get involved in the process. If you need a miracle, you better get ready to start doing some stuff. Because a miracle doesn't happen just because you need one. A miracle happens because you take the need to the right place and you obey His commands. So while we have to have enough faith to prepare ourselves and prepare our life for what should be, even though things look dysfunctional, 
even though things look like they're lacking, looks like the opposite of what we need, we have to have enough faith to believe. Do I got any church folks that believes that something is about to happen in their life? I know it's COVID, but do I have anybody that believes something? That, do I still got miracle believers in the house? I'm talking about where God works in an atmosphere of expectation that no matter what hell has brought against you, you're sitting in this church house this morning saying, I have a relationship with the king, and he's a good king, and he's about to do something. Do I have anybody like that? Because I promise you this. If the enemy took your car and shut down your retirement, took your insurance away, stole your house, as long as he didn't take your expectation, you can still get your breakthrough. Because you need to still expect something to happen in spite of what you don't have in your life. Hear me when I say this. The devil is not after your things. He's after your expectation. He wants you to accept a wedding without wine. He wants you to accept less than what God is capable of giving. See, you didn't think this was a big deal, and I didn't either. What, what's the big deal about running out of wine? Because it lowers your expectations. It makes you start believing that life cannot be any better than where I am right now. And God doesn't want His people living like that. He wants you to live a life that is beyond ordinary. He wants you to always believe that my God is bigger than where I am right now. He's greater than where I am right now. That no matter where I am at this present moment, this is not the last chapter of my book. God is still writing my story and He's still got great things in store for me. He wants you to have a wedding with no wine, a marriage with no love, a house with no peace, a job that doesn't fulfill you. He wants you to have a ministry with no passion and a walk with God with no commitment. But that devil is a lie. Do you, do you remember the story about the lame man at the gate? Peter and John going to the temple to pray. And the Bible says he was expecting alms. From those who entered in. That means he was expecting a handout. He was expecting 50 cents. He was expecting a dollar maybe. But he got a healing. He was expecting one thing. Got something much better. He was expecting little. He got a lot. The key to it was that even though he was lame... He kept expecting. And what I, if I can get something into you in this series, it's, it, it will set your life on its ear because it doesn't matter what you have. I don't even need you to have great faith. I just need you to walk in and expect something. And what God will do is if you expect some little thing, He'll show up and show you what life is like on the other side of order. So, 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 so the lame man gets more than he expected that means I can expect to get more than I expect that means I should expect it for my family I expect it for my kids I ought to expect it for my job I ought to expect it in my health if I can expect something God not only will give me what I expect but he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I think or ask and here's what he said. After they brought the wine out, 
They said most hosts give the good wine in the beginning. But you have saved the best to last. That'll preach. You have saved the best for last. Mary says, whatever he says to do, just do it. And here's what the Bible says. That's why, that's one of the reasons I used the New Living Translation this morning. She said, whatever he says to do, just do it. And then the Bible says she walked away. You missed it. Whatever he says do, do it. He ain't said he's going to do it yet. He didn't say he was going to use the servant. She said, whatever he says, because I know he's going to. And I know he won't do it apart from your hands. You're going to have to get your hands dirty to bring your miracle to pass. So I know how this works. Whatever he says, because I have a relationship with him, he's going to answer. Whatever he says, do, do it. And then the Bible makes it a point to say she walked away. See, we need to learn how to just tell Jesus and walk away. You need to learn how to give him what you've been worrying about and learn how to walk away from it. Listen, you need to learn how. You know what it does when you walk away? You are telling hell and heaven, I believe it is already done. See, we have to keep telling everybody that we meet. We have to get on Facebook and tell everybody, and then we'll tell them again tomorrow, and then we'll tell them again tomorrow, and we go to the grocery store, and we tell the checkout girl, and then we go to the post office, and we tell the guy behind the the, the screen, and everybody we meet, we keep telling the same story about how bad it is and how rough I'm having it. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says to learn how to tell Jesus and walk away because when I walk away and leave it with him, I'm telling him this person and that person and Facebook land and Instagram land don't have the answer but I know you King Jesus if I lay it at your feet I think it's done now what did Mary ask him for wine and he told the servants to get what Wine and water are different. Water they already have. Wine is what they need. Without a miracle, what I have is all I'm ever going to get. So Jesus says to the servant, Go and get some pots. These were my pots for seven months. Sherwin-Williams, A100. That's exterior paint. Color, gauntlet gray. That's Sister Alicia's paint. Both of these... She went through both of these out there doing that wall. Or I went through them on the outside of this building. Jesus said, get the buckets and put water in them. 
You ever toted water? It's heavy. Five gallon of water in each hand. It's heavy. I'm about to end. Just stay with me for a few minutes. I'm going to teach you something. It's a hard job to draw water and carry it to Jesus. If all I got to do is, see, water's what I have, wine's what I need. If all I have to do is cry over the water, then it's not that hard. But what becomes difficult is when I have to carry the water to Jesus. Because it becomes a heavy burden. If all I have to do is bellyache and cry and wish it was wine. That comes with a certain amount of turmoil, but it's not the heaviness that I receive. When I have to pick it up and carry it to Jesus. Now here's what the Bible says. There were six water pots. Each one held 20 to 30 gallons of water. So I did the math a couple of years ago. I don't know how far they had to carry the water, but they would have had to have carried somewhere around 180 trips. I don't even know how many servants there were. But trip after trip after trip after trip after trip, handling water when they need wine. And it gets heavier emotionally than it is physically when I know what I got's not enough. And this is what I'm having to carry, but what I'm having to carry is not what I need. I'm carrying this marriage. And it's not what I need. I'm carrying these children. I'm bringing them to Jesus. But the way they're living is not what I need. I'm carrying myself to work every week. But it's not what I need. I'm carrying my emotions. I'm carrying this depression. I'm carrying this anxiety. I'm carrying this physical problem. I'm carrying it to Jesus. And what I have is all I see. It's not what I need. Lord, it gets heavy. And it starts out heavy physically. And it ends up fit heavy emotionally. And once my emotions get drained enough, my spirit starts getting drained. Carrying water when you needin' wine can I tell you this it would have been easy for them to believe if when they dipped the water and they took it to Jesus that it turned into wine oh it would have been an encouragement would it not if they would have went down to the river or to the well or wherever it was and they dipped the water when they were on their way to Jesus all of a sudden they could see the, the bubbles starting to form and the foam rising up and the fermentation process taking place and they would have gotten excited. You know what would have happened? It would have gotten lighter instead of heavier. They would have been, oh yeah, yeah, look what's happening here because they're carrying a miracle. 
But sometimes when you're carrying a miracle, it doesn't seem like a, look like a, feel like a miracle. It just feels heavy. Sometimes a miracle feels like nothing but a burden. And they would dip it and they would take it to Jesus. And the Bible says they would pour it into the cistern until six water pots were full. And it would be easy to believe if when they drew the water, it turned to wine. But it still looked like, tasted like, felt like, smelt like water. The enemy will come to you. While you're standing here holding this thing that you have, but it's not what you need. And he'll start whispering in your ear. And he'll say, I thought prayer worked. Where's your God at now? And what do you need God for anyway? You can get water without God. You can dip your own water. I thought God was in the miracle working business. Where's the wine he promised you? Trip after trip after trip, you get discouraged. You start feeling defeated. Does anybody bear witness with this sermon this morning? But I came here to let the devil know. That while I need wine, I will keep carrying that heavy water as long as it takes and as long as he tells me to because I'm expecting to see what I ask him to let me see. I know in whom I have believed. And when the day comes, he will show forth his glory. And I know what I'm holding right now doesn't look like a miracle to you. I know what I'm holding right now feels like a burden. But I'm going to keep carrying this until it turns into what I need. Because I know my king. Will somebody give God some praise? God, I could run. Trip after trip, they had to handle water for a season. Bring it to Jesus and give it to him before they got what they asked him for. Do you realize that they were no better off? 180 trips to them water pots, and it was still water. They were no better off after they had carried that burden 180 times. They were no better off than they were when they started. But they had to bring all of it to him before the miracle could happen. And so many times the burden gets so heavy that we check out before we bring all of it to him. And so while we have carried part of our burdens to him, we still carry some around because we got too tired. But when my water gets heavy, that's when you're going to start hearing me say, I'm not going to doubt God. I'll get on the devil's nerves. You hear me? I've done it before. I stand around here. I used to have a big old pot called Jared. And I would stand around 
with that pot in my hand and I would get on the devil's nerves and I would preach on Sunday morning after Jared had put us through hell Saturday night. Wouldn't got to bed till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning not knowing where he was and with who he was doing it with. And I would just get on the devil's nerves saying I'm going to keep carrying this water and it ain't what I need. I need wine. But I'm carrying it to Jesus because I know this. He's got what I need. And the longer I have to carry it the more hell I'm going to defeat because the enemy is under my feet. And when he comes out, he will come out as a bright and morning star. Even when it looks like it's not working, I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep believing God because he's a good king. See, if you keep carrying it long enough, you're about to see why you fought so hard. You're about to see why you was in the fire in the first place. You're about to see why it all fell apart in your life. And I can't tell you, and this is the miracle part of this sermon. I can't tell you which step the transformation took place. Here's what the Bible said. They drew water. They took it to the water pot. And they did that at least 180 times. And they drew water. And it's still water. And I ain't saw nothing yet. And I'm starting to sweat. And this is getting heavier. It ain't getting lighter. Five gallon is as heavy on the front end as it is on the back end. And my arms are getting weak. And my journey has been long. And I have shed many tears. And I have believed. And the devil has come walking beside me saying, this ain't working. You look like a fool. I mean, tell me why you need God for. You are carrying water and pouring water in a cistern. And ain't nothing happening. I mean, look at it. And you will look back over your shoulder and say, you know what, devil? You're right. But that ain't going to stop me from carrying because I ain't got it all to... I've only got part of it. He didn't tell me to carry part of it. He said, fill up the six water pots. And until the six water pots, I can't expect Jesus to show up early if I haven't done my part. And the Bible says that when they filled up the six water pots, they are tired, they are sweaty, they are exhausted, they are defeated. And they still got water. And I don't know what step... The transformation took place. That's why you got to take them all. Because if it's step 1,000, you can't stop at step 999. The Bible says when they drew the water to take to the governor, when he drank it, it was the best wine of the party. So I don't know how. And I don't know when. But when they poured it out, it had been changed. And child of God, I don't know how. And I don't know when. But when he pours you out, you're going to witness a change. 
When you have poured out all your tears and you have exhausted all of your resources, if you ever get everything, I'm not talking about most, I'm not talking about some, if you ever learn how to get everything to Jesus, when he pours it out, you're going to notice that everything has changed. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but God wants you to know that he has saved the best for last, that you are about... It doesn't matter how bad this season has been. You've been carrying water and believing for wine. And God says, I'm about to pour out something in somebody's life that is going to make you believe again. Did you hear what I just said? I just prophesied over somebody's life. He's going to make you believe again. Somebody came in in his church this morning, not sure if you still. He's going to make somebody believe again. And if that's you, throw your hands in the air and say, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. He's going to make somebody believe again because he has saved the best for last. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, right now, I have preached as hard as I can preach for the past 60 minutes because I want these people to receive this word this morning. The engrafted word that makes a difference. The word that hides itself in our spirit and in our heart and makes us believe. God, make us believe. Some of us are tired. We have been carrying this burden for so long. But you have saved the best for last. And our extraordinary life is right around the corner. Help me see. Help me believe. Help me have faith. Help me overcome fear. Make my prayer life bigger than my fear. Make my faith stronger than my doubts. I want to believe. I feel the Spirit of God in this room. I know this is, we don't have altar calls because of the situation and stuff, but this is, this is your moment to touch God. You, you want to come up to the front and get your hands laid. Do you, do you feel the spirit pricking your heart right now? Do you, do you feel that unction to believe again? If you do, open yourself up right now. Holy Spirit, I want to believe again. I've been carrying this water for so long. I'm so tired. Help me believe. Help me believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you feel victory coming? Do you feel hope rising in your spirit? Because that's what a word like this is supposed to do. It's supposed to encourage you. I, I, I take you to a dark place. 
to where you, you connect with that emotional moment of what it feels like to carry that water. But I don't leave you there. I bring you to the place of victory and overcoming and a life beyond ordinary. I really believe that the church is supposed to be the light through this dark season that the world is finding itself in right now. I believe that us who call ourselves believers are supposed to be encouragement for a lost and dying world that COVID-19 and political unrest and all the trash and garbage in the world isn't the end of all of this because we have a good king who is sovereign over all things. And his plan is bigger than what we see. We just have to learn how to bring it all to him and expect a miracle. Amen. Uh, I don't think at, at 47 I can preach any harder than what I preached here today to help you believe again. I want you to know that the best is not behind you. He saves the best for last. Because the longer you walk with him, we used to sing it in the old church, it gets sweeter as the days go by. It, this thing's not, if my best days with God are behind me, God's not a very good God. Because that means that he, he, he helped me reach a pinnacle early on that he can't supersede himself. But that's not God. God is so powerful that no matter what he's already blessed me with, he's got exceedingly, abundantly more than I ask or think. I apologize that I preached an hour this morning, but I told you up front I knew I was going to preach a long sermon. I knew it was a long one because I had to get through this thing. It's been in me for two weeks. It was time for me to hit you with it. I need to, get, I need to deliver this baby up here in front of all of y'all so now y'all can deal with it. And I, I, I normally don't try to preach this long. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. Uh, but this was a good word, I feel like, and it was beneficial. We're blessed. We're blessed to be able to be in church service. We're blessed to be able to be in church. We're blessed to be able to open the doors again. Um, I made an announcement last week. I don't plan to close again even if we have positive tests in the congregation. I'm going to treat you like adults. I'm going to let you make the decision whether you feel safe to come or not. I don't want to stop, go, stop, go. Stop. I just don't think it's healthy. I don't think it, it, we lose momentum by doing that. I don't want to do it. So I'm going to treat you like adults. If you don't feel safe, we offer it online. If you don't feel safe, stand up there in the foyer and watch me with binoculars. Uh, uh, we, we've got a, we got a TV in most of these rooms. Come in. You, got, you can have a room to yourself in a lot of these rooms. We have live streams streaming into some of these rooms. If you want to be in a bubble, we can probably accommodate you for a service or two. But uh, I, I want you to know I, I don't plan to shut down. Now, again, of course, governments do things and, and, and we'll evaluate everything. But we don't plan to shut down just because we have positive tests in the church again. It's just, it's, it's too much. So, so we're just going to keep moving ahead and keep moving forward. Uh, that's the plan as we go along. Also, the building is a work in progress. Please be patient with us. Uh, we've got things that aren't buttoned up quite yet. Uh, I wanted to have the place perfect. I ran out of time for perfection. Perfection takes time, and apparently it takes longer than seven months. 
And uh, I did the best I could. We did the best we could. And, and it's not perfect, but please be patient with us. I, I, I walk around here all the time, and I see things that I wish was better. And, and we're getting there. The doors still aren't in. Uh, the, the main entry doors will eventually, in the next few weeks, supposedly, we'll have three, no, four main entrances, and all the doors will be replaced. Uh, we're still waiting on all that. But, uh, so be patient with us. There's things that don't work just quite right. We're still working out the kinks. We got light issues sometimes, and we got sound issues sometimes, and we got preacher issues sometimes. But we're trying to work it all out. Just be patient with us. Because from the pulpit to the pew, we're just not perfect yet. I checked y'all when I was standing up there, and none of y'all are sprouting wings yet. So we still got some work to do. Bless you, promise of victory. I love you. Appreciate you.